Thank you for tuning in to our Bear Creek AG podcast. You are about to listen to our weekly Bible study with Pastor Tony. Thanks for joining in. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is week 8 of the book of Corinthians. Uh, we did not finish chapter 5 two weeks ago. I want to say thank you to Pastor Benjamin Franklin Armstrong because he did not fill in for me last week when I was on vacation. He ministered last week in his own right, in his own giftedness. And I want to say thank you. I appreciate all you that came to me and talked about how good he did. And then for y'all that just said, you know, well, he needs to behave himself a little bit more. We've got counseling coming up to get him to where he can behave a little bit more. But no, I do appreciate Pastor Ben's ministry. And it's a good feeling to know that I can be out of the pulpit and it's in good hands. I've got a great staff. You've got a great staff, pastoral staff, and I appreciate it. Pastor Ben, you're the anchor, and I greatly appreciate it. But we're going to try to do a quick review uh, without really diving deep into the notes and bolts of the first five verses. But two weeks ago, we were only able to get through the first five verses because of the, of the richness of the discussion and maybe uh, because of the fact that there is a misconception. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in just a moment. But we're in first. Corinthians chapter 5, and just to kind of a recap, just recall that Paul's at the end of his introduction. He's made his case about the leadership. He's made his case about uh, don't be elevating the person you're following. The man is God. They're all following God. These leaders are following God. And you can go back and listen to the podcast if you want to go back and review more in detail. And, and so he comes down. He's, making, he's made his case that he is their spiritual father. You have lots of teachers, but you don't have many spiritual fathers. He said in chapter 4, I'm your spiritual father. I'm the one who gave that, that God birthed this church from. I'm the one who's prayed over, who shed tears over it. I'm reading between the high lines, but I just know how I would feel if I was Paul. And so he's doing that. And so now he's coming down to the crux of the problem. He says, now I've corrected you in your thinking there. Now let's deal with some things that's going on within the church in particular. And he's still dealing with leadership, but issues within the church. And he starts off, we're going to read the first five verses, if that's okay. And then I'll come back and bullet point what, uh, what we talked about. He says, it is actually reported that there is a sex, that, that there is sexual immorality among you in a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, and you're proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part, even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit, so next time you get together and the power of the Lord Jesus is present when the Holy Spirit is among you because where two or three are gathered, he's there with you, especially when you're meeting in the name of Jesus, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Now, that's as far as we got two weeks ago, and, and there's a, a lot here. So somebody has reported to Paul that there's something happening with the church. There's a man within the church. We don't know if this person's in leadership or not. It's irrelevant if he was or not. But he's basically uh, committing incest with his father's wife, with his stepmother. And Paul points out that, you know, this ought not be in the church. I mean, listen to what he's saying. He's saying, listen, even the pagans don't act this way. I mean, that's kind of a a pastoral kind of backslap, I would say. You know, listen, you're even worse than the pagans. You're claiming to be followers of Christ, and you're doing what they even detest, that they wouldn't even do here. So, look, you, you need to get your act together. Now, as we looked at this two weeks ago, we came to the point, to the realization, that Paul was not so concerned about the situation. This is bad. 
This is bad. Don't get me wrong. Sexual immorality is bad. But what was Paul really dealing with here? What, come on, y'all remember? Come on, show me how good of a teacher I am. He's dealing with pride, but in who? In what, in what area is he really dealing with? He's dealing more with what? Church discipline. He's, dealing with, he, he's saying, listen, this guy's wrong, there's no doubt, but I'm not dealing with him. In my mind, I've already judged this guy. And what you need to do is just cast him out of the church. I've judged him. Cast him out of the church. My beef is with you. Why are you tolerating this? Matter of fact, you're actually proud about this. You're boasting about this. Why? Why would you even... I know I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but read the story. Read the scripture there. He's saying, why, why are you even proud? He's concerned about the fact that, 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 that this immorality is taking place, but it's because of the tolerance of the sin or the lack of correction or discipline towards the unrepented man. There has to be discipline. There has to be correction. Um, now, so he gives a solution. What was his solution? I'm not with you present and present, but my spiritual authority is still over you, and this is what I am telling you need to do. You need to hand him over to Satan. Now, what did we say that really meant? Talk to me. Come on, let's see what you've learned. What did that really meant, mean when you hand someone over to Satan? Do we, do we damn them to hell? Do we commit them to hell? What, what does that mean? You, you discontinue your fellowship. Carl, what was that? It's, it's part of correction. Okay, Alex? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure, Miss Pat? It's all about restoration. This is the last step in restoration, though. In other words, you try to correct, you try to, to, to bring a correction, direction, discipline into the situation. But if, this, but if the leadership is open to it and they're not going to correct it, and they're actually proud about it, and this gentleman is not willing to acknowledge that this is wrong and change his way, he's basically saying, he, he say, turn his flesh, turn his desires over to Satan. Let, ex, I'd say excommunicate, that's not a word we use. But you need to distance this man from the church. And we're going to talk about why that is. We only got through five verses last week, two weeks ago. So don't get too far ahead of me on it. But you, you hear what he's saying here. Brother Jim? Two things. One, you go back to the Old Testament, whenever the uh, Pharaoh, when God hardened his heart, what he was saying, he let Pharaoh be Pharaoh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Until his flesh was destroyed. He came to himself. And he came to himself. Absolutely. And he said, I have sinned against you and heaven. Absolutely. He realized he came to himself. Yeah. He realized the seriousness of what he'd done. Yeah. He's talking about giving not his physical body physically over to Satan, but giving those fleshly desires. Fine. If he wants to live like the world, let him live in the world so that he can come to himself for the purpose of restoration. And I mentioned this, if you look at if, if 2 Corinthians, you'll find, and we believe, most scholars believe, that Paul mentions someone being restored to the body. It's believed that this man was, is restored to the body because of the actions of the church. Now, we don't obviously know that for sure. It doesn't mention his name in either of the passages. But someone is definitely restored to the body, and it mentions about sexual immorality. So we feel like maybe putting the dots together is possibly this man that they put out. Okay. So it meant putting him outside the church into the world, which is the devil's domain. The punishment is a removal of spiritual protection and social comfort 
not an infliction of evil. It's, it's, it's about distancing him, giving himself over to his pleasures. Okay, And the purpose of putting this man outside the spiritual protection was the destruction of the flesh, not the body, but his rebellious flesh. And this is important. What Paul's goal for this discipline was, as Ms. Pat pointed out, was salvation and not destruction of his spirit. Understand that. Don't take that out of context. It's so that he can be restored, and even Paul says that. Delivering this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh was the last step in church discipline. Okay. Now, I want to back up a little bit and talk about um, this idea of judging. We talked about this a little bit, and Paul says, I've already made my judgment. And we talked about this two, two weeks ago. We talked about the fact that we get the idea that the body of Christ is not to be judgmental. And as you read the rest of this chapter, matter of fact, Paul's going to allude to this at the end of this chapter, is in reality, in reality, that's not true. It says, do not, by the measure that you judge, judge not lest you be judged. And he's talking, Jesus is talking within content of the, of the, the standard for which we're going to be judged. Because it's all of an understanding of what is judgment. It's not that we're judging someone to condemnation. It's not that we're judging someone to hell. It's not that we're, it, that's not the point of, uh, of judging. Judging is to the point of what? Point, am I wrong in judging my son by telling him his room is dirty? No, I'm not. My, son's, my son does not have a right to answer in this. I am making a judgment about the condition of his room and the lack of action in his room. I'm using it. He cleaned his room today. That's why I'm bringing that up. Do what, sir? I'm quoting a fact, right. We ought to be fruit inspectors, and we say that a lot, but I want you to understand that, but not, it's the intent of why are we doing that. We're never to do that to, to, to judge, to condemn people. It's all for the point of, uh, of if I know that you're walking in a fault, I, I think there's biblical evidence to say that I'm responsible for coming to you. Now, I have to have a relationship with you before you'll ever receive it, but if I have a relationship with you and I see you're, you're living a and you're living a life that's not God-honoring, I sense there's an obligation by me to go and bring this to your attention. But is that judging? Of course it's judging. I'm judging your actions. But what am I judging your actions by? The Word of God. So it's the Word of God that judges us. And I know I'm kind of just shooting a scatter shot here from our conversation two weeks ago. We went a whole lot more into depth. But the Bible judges me. And if you're bringing up the fact that, you know what, Tony, you should not be sleeping with your mother-in-law. Or my stepmother, I guess, a better analogy. Paul judged. He said, that's wrong. He's not wrong in judging that. Those leaders would not have been wrong in judging that. It's a matter of sin. Now, if you like a certain football team, that's not, that's not up for debate. That's not up for judgment. See what I'm saying? I'm talking about, literally, we're talking about sin. We're talking about spiritual life or death here. Now... When it comes to someone who's unregenerated, who's lost, who's not saved, that's not our responsibility to judge. That's God's. But when it comes to the body of Christ, we are to be there for each other. It's all in how we perceive it. It's all in how we look at it. See, if we're, if we're judging, if we're correcting, if we're judging and saying, well, did you, hear, did you hear about Brother Gerald? Or, or, or Gerald, you're... You know, and just braving him and just beating him up. No, it's more like out of love. It's all about the motive of the heart. Did Jesus correct? Sure, he corrected. 
My goodness, poor old Peter. He called him, well, he didn't call him Satan, but hey, Satan, get behind me, right? He knew who was behind Peter's motives. It wasn't a, it wasn't a heavenly motive. It wasn't a godly motive, see? So, am I making sense? I want to make sure, because we need this. We need relationships. I need people in my life who are going to come alongside me and say, you know, Pastor, I've seen this or I heard this and I'm concerned about you. Can I help you? Can I pray with you? Does it make sense? Come on. You're being awfully quiet tonight. You afraid to speak up? We are required. I don't want to say judge because that's got such a negative connotation to it. We are required to be responsible for each other, aren't we? Isn't that the power of small groups? Isn't that, the, isn't that what Paul's doing with these leaders? And now the leaders in turn, all right, Paul says we need to do this. We're going to go to this guy and we're going to talk to him about his life. We need to tell him that it's wrong. Now, I'm reading between lines. We don't know what they did. I'm hoping they went to him. They obviously kicked him out. And we believe he was restored to the body. That would not have happened. He would have continued to live in his sin if someone had not gone to him and said, look, this is wrong. Now, I say it again. You have to have a relationship with that person. That's why, that's why relationships are so important within the body of Christ. We're not an organization. We're an organism. Help me, bail me out here, Ben. Everybody's quiet tonight, brother. Come on. When Jesus is talking so on the mount where he says, judge not lest you be judged, he's saying judgment is reciprocal. That's right. right. So when I judge within a community, well, that's, that's as judgy as everyone's going to be on you. That's right. So again, talking to an Israelite religion that have become very judgy. Absolutely. And so, so when we read that, we've got, we've got to realize that, okay, back up. If you get so religious that when someone actually uses your judgment on you and you're offended, yeah, yeah. that's what happens. Absolutely. The person correcting you is potentially younger than you. Sure. Um, <laughs> I'm a school teacher. I'm a school teacher, so I've... I've and I work with credit recovery students, so a lot of them um, never ready to speak their mind. Okay. <laughs> if, I, if I give them some leeway, which I do, I am also going to cream them right. with my words. Why? Because that's the way the world works. Not to be unkind, but then if I joke with them, I better be ready to school them and teach them when they take a joke too far. Absolutely. Because they're going to quite because half of them don't have dads. Right, um, right. So anyway, the point is, judgment is reciprocal. It's not that we don't judge. It's that, like, hey, have thick skin when it comes to judgment. Absolutely. Whatever you give, it's coming back. Absolutely. And, the ju- and what we judge by is the Word of God. And that's why I like to say, I don't judge you. I just bring out what the Word says. The Word's what judge. And trust me, every Sunday I preach or Wednesday nights when I teach, it's already judged me because I've got to line myself up. And can I be honest with you? It's interesting that chapter 5 has fallen within the last couple of weeks because I've had to do a lot of correcting lately within our body. And it's, it's a confirmation to me. It really is. I mean, I mean some, there, it's, there's, there's some correcting. And not always, not always deep, dark, vile sin. But there's just got to be some correcting. There's got to be some guidance. And you know what? Some people take it and some people don't. I can't control that, but all I can do is help show the light. Brother Jim. If you correct someone when they take that first step, then that's a lot better than if you let them walk that road until it gets so serious. Because that's the way Satan tempts you is one step at a time. And he tries to do it in a way that it 
you can almost justify it just like what these people. Absolutely. You can almost justify each step. And then next thing you know, you're in a situation you never thought you'd be in. Absolutely, but absolutely. If you correct that first step, then you save a lot of sorrow down the road. I, th I think, and this is a note in, later in, the, in this chapter, I'm going to go ahead and bring it up here because I feel led that this might be the place. I think what the church has fallen into, at least there again, in America, I've, I've been to other countries and seen churches function, their churches, <coughs> excuse me, uh, function differently and in a healthier manner. But we are, we are so worried, and, and I don't want to say we shouldn't be concerned about hurting people's feelings, but we're so, we're so, we're so afraid of driving people away that we won't correct them. And by doing that, we allow them to continue to live in a spiritual deficit and not be healthy. It is a truth. Or Joey. Absolutely. That's a good word. Brother Ben, did you want to say something, sir? Brother Tony, uh, you know, yeast works from within. Yes. So does evil. That's why it's got to be dealt with. Absolutely. It will tear down a church if it's not dealt with. It will tear down people in that church and it'll definitely tear down that person. Absolutely. Which is where Paul leads to in just a minute. Summer? Yes. Yes. That's right. Sure. Absolutely. If if I went out and, and lived my life the way I wanted to, if I didn't practice what I preached, we would we wouldn't have a church. Would we? I, would, I wouldn't be the pastor here. Right? We still have a church. Yeah. Y'all wouldn't tolerate that. See. But we need that. For one for one another, it is that we really need that. Anybody else? For I yes, brother Jim. You know, he's talking about hurting people's feelings. I don't think we need to worry about that because when the church catches on fire, people will come for miles around just to watch it burn. Watch it burn. And then you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, and when that happens, though, there's going to be people who come who's going to have. They're, that's, it's going to be either uneducated or non-spiritual, immature that we're going to have to. And you know, honestly, we're seeing, we're seeing that with our church. We are. I'm not saying we're on fire, but the embers are definitely glowing. I mean, we're seeing a beginning, and that's the reason why the enemy is trying to do everything he can to upheave it. I can tell you. You don't know, and I'm not going to tell you. There's things that you don't know that are, the enemy's trying to bring uh, disillusionment to this body. He's trying to bring division to this body. He is at work distracting Oh my goodness. When he stops, that's when you worry. That's right. But I'm, I'm, I, I, the battle gets weary at times as well. It's like, okay, it's, what's the name? <laughs> Almost afraid to answer my phone anymore. But it's all good. It's all good. All right. So, anyways, so, so anyways, and, and please don't I, don't, I say that tongue in cheek. I don't mean that seriously. I, I, I'm not afraid to answer my phone. It's just the fact that this is where, with growth, it's just like with a child. You have a baby. It's all cute and cuddly at first, right? But as it starts, unless you're on number three or four, and then as, then as that child grows, it's not that the cuteness goes away, but disorder comes, doesn't it? Right? And so you have to set boundaries. 
And then it becomes an adolescent. You've got to set more boundaries as, the, as that child grows. And so it is with the church. The only thing is we don't want our church to age. We want our church to continue to reproduce new life. But with it comes chaos. And that's what, we're, that's what some of it is we're dealing with. So anyway, so let's see. That, that's just review. So now let's see where Paul goes with this, okay? There's only a few more verses left in chapter 5. He goes on to say, Your boasting is not good. <laughs> Your boasting's not good. In other words, this is not something you need to be boasting about. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? So what do we know about leaven? Brother, Brother Gerald, you love to bake bread. You, you, break some del- you, break, you bake some delicious bread. Tell me a little bit of you, what you know about leaven. Makes it more palatable, okay. Makes it rise. It don't take much, right? It doesn't take much. Okay, then I think that's what Paul's, obviously that's what Paul's trying to And he's saying that sin is like leaven. I understand that. It rottens the whole barrel, right? That's what he says. Sin is like, or yeast. It only takes a little yeast to leaven a whole mix of dough, and likewise, it only takes a little sin to corrupt a whole body of believers. Now, I don't think I'm taking that out of context as we continue to look on this. Okay, leaven equals sin. We even know that in the Old Testament, right? Well, he's going to get to that in a minute with the Feast of Passovers. We'll talk a little bit about that. All right. So what he's saying is, if discipline, <coughs> excuse me, is not working, and you're at the last level of all you can do, this person is not responding to counseling, to correction. They're 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 continuing to live, claiming to be, as we're going to see in a minute, claiming to be one thing and not living that. He's saying then kicking this person out has another purpose. It's not just to restore that person's soul. There's a big, even a bigger picture. Yes, that's important. Discipline that person. But the bigger picture, or part of the picture, is tolerating the sin and allowing this person to, uh, with the sin to remain would cause sin to spread among the body. Now, that doesn't mean because Brother Bill's having an affair with somebody means that everybody's going to start having affairs. That, think about it, all right? That's not what he's implying here. What is he implying? Engage the word. What is he implying? Why, why would allowing a little sin corrupt the whole body? What, what does that do? Well, go ahead. Oh. So if I can repeat what I think I heard you say, is we have a tendency as believers not to look to Jesus as the standard, but we have a tendency to look at others and we have a tendency to say, well, at least I'm not like so-and-so. At least I'm not like the, the publican. And so because of that, and there is no correction, the tolerance of that sin, and in this case the celebration of that sin, is not encouraging holiness, it's encouraging sin. I mean, it's good that you're not doing some of the things that other people are. But we know that we're all sinners saved by grace. 
Grace is not there. Grace will cover habitual sin. But I, I, I'm here to tell you, it's not intended for habitual sin. Grace is intended for those sins that you commit, but not habitual sins. If you have a problem with anger, grace will cover that. But you need to deal with your problem with anger. If you have a problem with... You, see, you hear my point, what I'm saying here. All right? And if we tolerate it, it doesn't mean we're not patient. If you have a problem with anger, you blow up at me, and we sit down and we dialogue, and you're working on that anger... You're working on that lust. You're working on that pride. You're working on that greed. God is very patient. And He, as long as you're making progress, He's going to keep saying, come on, come on, we're going to get it. But when the pride sets in and says, I can do it, and it's covered by grace, it don't matter, look out. You're in a bad place. All right? And so what Paul is emphasizing here is that we have to be mindful of, of this so that it doesn't spread. Knowing that, here's another issue. From the perspective of society, we kind of talked about this a few minutes ago, the lost, in other words, if they see the church tolerating this type of action, then people outside the church could view the whole church as sexual immorality or sexually immoral. Now, times have changed since I was a kid. People knew what sexual immorality were even if they didn't go to church. I'm not saying this is right or wrong, good or bad. People live with guilt knowing that some of the things they were doing were wrong because society said they're wrong. What's changed is society's changed and now things are very acceptable. So we don't quite see this as much. But we do see an element of this in our, in our world today. Um, and I said that already, so I don't need to say that. So, okay. so guilty by association, so to speak. Or we're, we're called hypocrites. And the church is full of hypocrites. Saved by grace. Saved by grace, right. But what the world sees is, well, you're telling me not to do that, but you're over here doing this. And I know the word. The Bible says don't do that. Or they say, you're being judgmental. I'm not judging. And this is how I'd handle things. Are you a Christian? you follow Christ? Yes, I do then I am supposed to help you. And part of helping you is letting you see when you walked astray, gone astray. If you're not, then you know what? Keep living your life the way you want to. I'm not here to judge you. I know that sounds harsh. Now, I want to help you. I want to introduce you to Christ. But there can be no progress in that person's life until they commit Christ, commit their lives to Christ. That makes sense? There's just, there's just no way about it. Okay, let's continue. Maybe this will help out. <coughs> Verse 7, get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a, a new unleavened batch, as you really are. This is the way you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be unleavened. You're supposed to be holy. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's done. He doesn't have to die again. Therefore, because it's done, let us keep the festival. It's capitalized, talking about Passover, or the unleavened bread, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is part of Passover, if you don't know your festivals. Now with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and with truth. At the Passover, the, the festival of unleavened bread, anybody know anything about that biblically, about what they did? Anybody at all remember that festival leading up to Passover? Everything. 
Any leaven, any yeast, you cleaned your house. You washed your clothes. You didn't want any... Now listen, this was God's requirement. But it was a reason. It was a, it was a object lesson for all my kids out there to come up through my children's ministries. That It was an object lesson that presented a spiritual truth. It's the idea of cleaning your house, your soul, your body, your, your, the whole you, right? And he says, just, uh, Paul says, just as the, the Jews were concerned to remove all leaven from their midst, so the church should have a concern to remove such notorious, unrepented sinners from their midst. Unrepented sinners. <coughs> if you go out here and you cuss me like a dog, or you cuss me to somebody, cuss about me like a dog to somebody else, and I hear about it and I come to you out of love and say, Brother, obviously I've offended you, I've hurt you. Really, though, you ought not be talking that way about me, but how can I? And you're unrepentant and everything like that. There's leaven there, see. Or if you're living in sexual sin and I come to you or someone comes to you and you're unrepentant, I don't see what's wrong with this. God's grace. 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 Yeah, but he's explicit about this. Greed. He's going to talk about greed, slander in a minute. All right, let's take, let's take this. Remember, it wasn't that the Corinthian church was obsessed with sexual immorality. It was in the church, but it's because that was in their culture. That's part of their, their pagan culture was that. We talked about that two weeks ago. So that's kind of what he's doing. But, man, he talks about all kinds of things here, okay? We don't just observe this once a year as they did in the Old Testament. Old Testament, they did it once a year. Uh, we now live in a, a continual celebration of the death and resurrection of Jesus, is what Paul's pointing out, which was symbolized in that feast. <coughs> Excuse me. Feast of Passover, unleavened bread. We're supposed to strive to live each day. Strive to live each day in remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. Reality, you could take communion every day. It wouldn't be inappropriate. If anything, it'd be probably more appropriate. And why? And remembering and living, striving to live a life that reflects what we have. And <coughs> we're to strive. To, to live without leaven or sin as depicted in the Old Testament Feast of Passover. So that's what Paul's pointing out, okay? He says, get rid of the sin. We must strive to live without sin because that's who we are. Jesus has already died. You are holy because He's holy. So strive to live that holy life. Jesus was without sin, so strive to live without sin. The fact that He shed His blood on Calvary Although there is the sin nature within you, it can overcome, be overcome by the power of the blood of Jesus. You don't have to sin. You have the power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives within you. That same spirit that was within Jesus empowered him, if I can use that, those words of terminology, so that he did not sin. You can do it. Well, it's human nature. Yeah, but you know what? I throw off the old man, I take on the new. I throw off the human nature. Does that mean I get it right every day? You tell me, do I get it right every day? Wow, neither one of my sons jumped on that when I gave you the opportunity. Of course I don't. But I strive to. And this is what Paul's talking about. Get rid of the sin. Strive to live as unleavened bread or as holy, okay? <clears throat> and how do we do that? We're to live our lives between the guardrails of in, in, uh, sincerity 
and truth. That's where he, he, he ended. I don't know if I, I, I read that part. Yeah, I did. Bread of, uh, the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. That's how we do it. We have to be honest. We have to be sincere with ourselves. We have to be truthful with ourselves. You say, well, don't we need to be truthful with God? God already knows. You need to be honest with yourself. You need to be truthful. You need to be sincere with yourself. See? That, that's what it should be expected of you. He goes on in verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Now, as we stated when we began this book, there was a prior book. Where is that book? There was a prior letter. It would actually be 1st 1 Corinthians. Where's that letter at? We don't know, do we? It was lost, most likely. It's not part of the canon. It's not part of the But we know from this that Paul had addressed these people prior to this. All right? And what did he do? He dealt with the same thing. He, he, he dealt with immorality. Okay? Read verse 10 with me. Not, all, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. Let me, let me start back at verse 9. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy, and the swindlers, or the idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. What's he saying? He said, I, when I wrote to you before, I wasn't talking about the lost people. If you're going to separate yourself from them, you're going to have to leave the world. Because the why? The world is full of these people. Hear what he's saying here. He's already dealt with this issue. All right? Not at all. He says in verse 11, But now I'm writing you that you must uh, not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, a follower of Christ, but, but who is or but is a sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even, do not even eat with such people. He said... Listen, I told you not to hang around those kind of people, but I may have not made myself too clear. All right? Because reality is, what Paul is really saying here, if you take the whole, the whole counsel of the New Testament, the gospel, it doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from the sinful people. They're our mission field. But he said separate. He said that's not your social group, though. You, 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 can have, you may have to work with them. Okay? You may have to work with them, but they're not your social group. You need to separate yourself from, 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 that, from that aspect of them. They're your mission field. You need to be kind to them. You need to bless them. But they're not the ones that you're going, I'm, I don't know, camping, vacant, whatever you want to put in there. Okay, Those aren't the ones, right? I, but you apparently misunderstood what I was really saying, Paul saying. You can't separate yourself from all those people in the world because the world's full of them. What you need to be careful of is associate with those who claim to be Christians who are living like this. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Now this is harsh. You are salt. You are light. You are to be reaching those who are unregenerated. Unregenerated. I use the word unsaved. You you are supposed to be. So it's not Paul saying 
get in a commune and isolate yourself and don't ever go outside the, the walls of your little commune. No, 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 no. He's saying real relationships aren't necessarily with those people. Be careful who you let your kids hang out with. Maybe that's a better way to put it. Paul's saying, you're my kids. I want you to be careful who you hang out with. You're still very impressionable. You still have a lot of the world in you. You're living in a culture that, that, that's trying to that's opposite of everything the Bible teaches. Now, they didn't even have the Word back then. They had these letters. They had the Torah. They had the Old Testament. They didn't have the Gospels. They're getting, they're getting, they're, they are the Gospel. They are, they're being written, route, right? I mean, thank God he's still not writing. God's still not writing books to put in the Bible. I mean, would there be a first, first Bear Creek? Would there be a second Bear I don't know, you know. All right? I think a good way to put it is this. You shouldn't expect godly behavior from ungodly people. But you should expect godly behavior from godly people. For those who claim to be godly, we should be able to accept godly behavior. And if they're not behaving godly, there's a problem. Either they're not godly and they're, they've got a facade, or they need some discipling, which is probably the case, some correcting, judging you can't correct unless you judge your actions to be right or wrong. And then with a relationship, I'm telling you, relationships are important within the body of Christ. This little small group, which isn't small anymore, you need to be building relationships with one another because we need each other. We're stronger together. We need those relationships together so that when you do fall and stumble, whether sinful or you're sick or you're hurt or you need, someone can come alongside of you and encourage you, or correct you, or carry you, or push you, or drag you at times. The thing, I, the thing that bothers me the most is the people who's come through this church who no longer are going to church. And there's somebody besides the pastor who needs to go out there and grab them by the back of the neck and drag them to church. Alright, I'm, I'm being harsh, but encourage them to come back to church. The problem is they never got plugged into a small group anywhere. So there's no relationship where people feel accountable for them. There's people falling through the cracks all the time in this church, and we're not a big church. See, and I'm kind of going on a tangent there, but I think you understand. You, you shouldn't expect godly behavior from an ungodly person. But if someone claims to be a Christ follower, you should expect godly behavior, godly attitude, godly speech from that person. If they're not acting godly, don't go to their house, he says. Don't eat with them. That seems harsh because today it's like we'd go to a restaurant. But understand, in their culture, that was a sign of friendship. When you let someone in your home, now I'm not saying don't let ungodly people in your home, but that should not be the norm. You need to know who's in your home. You don't want me to get on demonic activity tonight. I've, I'll spend the next hour and a half talking about demonic. You don't know what people are dragging into your home because of what they've been exposed to unknowingly. I can tell you. Demonic spirits are attached to things. They're doors, they're keys that open the doors to, to demonic activity. Satan has no authority over you unless you open a door for him. And you let him in. And when you let him in, woo, he's going to have a heyday. There's things that allow us, that allow... Be careful what you watch. Careful what you listen to. <laughs> I know this is kind of going down a different trail, but I'm, you know, I've, we have to be mindful. We're holy. 
What does darkness have to do with light? And I know they say, well, Pastor, and I feel odd saying that in a sense because we're supposed to be evangelistic, and we should be, but not at the cost of compromising our relationship with God. See, verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Here we go. What business, Paul says, is to mine? Are you not to judge those inside? If I'm not supposed to judge outside, then somebody needs to be judging those on the inside. God will judge those outside. You realize if somebody is unsaved, has not received Christ, their actions, their sin is not what matters. Don't you think about that? If someone has not received Christ as Lord and Savior, they're not being judged by their actions. There's only one thing they're being judged by. Is your name written? Did you receive Christ? But once you have received Christ as Lord and Savior and your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Book of Life, everything now is under scrutiny by God. Paul says, if they're going to live like the world, if they're unsaved... I can't judge them. They first, have to, they first have to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Once that takes place, once the Spirit brings life into them, that spiritual atom is split. See, now, it's not a matter of judging a newborn Christian. Now it's a matter of bringing them on. But once they know better, now it's time for correction. And don't we see that with our kids? When my boys were growing up, I tell them once, tell them twice, three times. You know, and then you go, okay, one, two, two and a quarter. Sometimes I, with Trevor, I'd go two and a quarter, and then whack! Well, Dad, you didn't get to three. Nope, I sure didn't. I got two, two, two and a quarter. I went straight to three after that. I didn't go two and a half. And two. Yeah, why? There's a time, there comes to a point where they have to be responsible for the actions when they know not to do something or to say something or to do something. That's what we're dealing with here, okay? Unfortunately, too many Christians are busy judging those outside the church who are unsaved. <laughs> that's what the world has. With, that's the beef the world has with us, see? Uh-uh. Those people down there on Bourbon Street, God save them. I hope God saves them. I, I, I love them with the love of Christ. I ain't judging them. Homosexuals? Pedophiles? Murderers? I'm not judging them. But if any of those people claim to know Christ as Lord and Savior... You're wrong. You're now being judged by a different standard. I'm not judging you. See, that's, that's where, and I don't mean to get on, on one particular subject. You, you can talk about whether it's abortion, or you can talk about homosexuality, uh, same-sex marriage, whatever you, you want to. They try and try to twist, the, the enemy tries to twist the scriptures around to justify all of that. There's no, there's no twist in this to justify it. There's none. There's none. So what do they do? They leave the church and they create their own church. Or the churches, the certain denominations, are so afraid of offending, so afraid, well, we're supposed to love. Well, which is better, to love that person straight to hell or love them enough to say, what you're doing is wrong and will eventually result in you living in hell? You tell me. Is it more love to let my child touch the hot eye because I don't want to hurt his feelings? 
Or is it more love to slap him on the hand and say, don't touch that because you're going to burn yourself? You, you tell me which is the greater love. I think the greater love is correction without having to go to the mercy room. This is what Paul is dealing with here. This is so important for the church today. We have to get this right. And I'm not giving you a license to go out and start pointing your bony finger in people's faces. I'm talking about if you truly see someone who's living in sin and you love them, you have a relationship with them, you're really compassionate towards them, you have an obligation out of love to go to them and say, I love you enough to tell you this, and you may not like it, but i got to be honest with you. You know that's wrong. You know it's wrong. That's tough though, isn't it? Because nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes to be rejected. I know I don't. The Corinthian Christians were failing to judge where they should have made judgment. They should have not winked at the notorious sinner among them. And they should not have considered themselves loving for doing so. Amen. Now, before I let you go, because time is, time is we got two minutes. I want to bring this all back to the very beginning <clears throat> to remind you that the purpose for this, this measure of kicking someone out of, the, out of the church who claims to be a Christian but who is living in sin, all right, for us to know that it's for the purity of the church, but it's also for the sake of that man's own salvation. It's never... It should always be for restoration, spiritual restoration. This is kind of a side note that may not go directly with this, but I think in a way it does. I have heard and I've read that in, not even in biblical days, but even in more modern days where there are nations that still have shepherds, that there are times that sheep want to wander off. We would see Jesus using a parable of the lost sheep, lost coin, prodigal son. And after a time, if a sheep continues to wander off, what the shepherd will do is the shepherd will break the sheep's leg. That's cruel. But then the shepherd carries the sheep and teaches the sheep to be dependent upon the shepherd. So when the leg is mended, the sheep stays close to the shepherd. A little different than what this is, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit dropped that in my heart. There's times, as painful as it is, there's got to be legs broken <laughs> for the sake of restoration. But we've got to do it with love and compassion. I don't want to run anybody off. It's not ever my goal. But for the sake of the fellowship for the sake of the holiness, for the sake of our witness, I will. And in some ways, I have. I have taken people out of leadership. Maybe not, maybe not run them off, but take them out of leadership, sat them down. And believe it or not, the two times I've done that in this church, those two different individuals corrected their ways. Because I did it with love. I said, I can't permit this. Because you're a reflection of me. And if people know what you're doing, if it gets out, and I know that you're doing it, that's a bad reflection on me as a leader, and it's not good for the fellowship. Other people are going to expect they can do it too. Leaven contaminates the whole loaf. Amen. Questions? Comments? Yes, Joey? Tony, going back to the 
thank you for joining our podcast. Here at Bear Creek AG, our goal is to help others know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Have a great week.